You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast. To discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but never limit us. Yeah, we talk about surfing, stand-up comedy, religion, family issues, pop rocks, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. There we go. Oh, live and alive. I almost have too much technology now. Is it like overwhelming? No, just whelming. Oh, I like whelming. Whelming is nice. I've been whelmed once or twice. <laughs> that doesn't happen often, does it? I don't I don't return the favor though. I'm very stingy with my whelming. If you're I get, only I'm you're not, a self-whelmer. I'm not, it back. I'm not giving it back if I get whelmed. Nice. But once I get whelmed, I need a nap. I just lay down. <laughs> yeah. Like tryptophan. Whelm me and then I'm out. No mas. Nice. What's doing, man? You doing all right? Everything good? Yep, all's good here. Just got done with a couple meetings. No power outages or anything? Nope. Uh, fire season is knock on wood over, so we don't have to worry about that kind oh, of That's stuff. funny, knock on wood. Huh. Why? You know, fire season. Forest fires. Wood. It's not funny, Jamie. I didn't say it, just pointing it out. You're the one throwing out the puns. So tell me, tell me. what. what I think I know what we're talking about today. Uh, I want to introduce my guest today, known for his children's books on yes. circumcision. <laughs> it's a how-to book. How to slice your own meat. Welcome, my guest, Jamie Leiter. <laughs> Hello, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, actually, I did. You know, I want to tell you, I did get a children's book about being a moil. What? It's yeah. I know. <laughs> Wait, I, I wish I had it in the room, and I've been meaning to review it because I I like found it online on like ebay or something i forget where i found it it's called like the moil from mars and it's it's insane and this and i posted it and i was like just ordered this from ebay can't wait to give you a full review and a guy like weeks later was like still waiting i feel like we're (laughs) i feel like we're missing a comedy niche here like this is this could be gold have you seen you should go um on instagram there's a uh a group called extreme Mormons and oh, no. these Mormon missionaries who do um, like X games stunts on scooters and rollerblades and stuff. They're <coughs> freestyle walking. Yes. There's some freestyle walking, but it's so yeah. cheesy. They're not even great stunts. They're not done. Well, they're like, uh, this is elder Jedi. But you didn't elder know Jedediah, that. And I'm going to jump these six stairs because God empowered me to do so. And then he does this like stupid scooter bunny hop off the stairs and almost falls. And he comes in like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Wait, I just want to point out that you thought it was Mormons being extreme, but it was extreme for Mormons. Is that what it was? It's like extreme actions done. was only like at the Mormon level. You know what I mean? Like, that's amazing. Yes, it's good. It's so good. You got to check it out. It's a a comedy. We'll put it it in the show notes. And the best part is you can't tell whether they're seriously thinking this is extreme stunts or whether it's like tongue in cheek, like they know it's funny and that's why they're (laughs) doing it. You don't know if they're being laughed with or at. I got you. So I, I got think, you. I think you need to make a a, a moil page of some sort and and bring out all this great material you have about 
more children's more books children's books for, for by the way i should i left out the best part it's a children's book called the moil for mars and it's a, and it says below like in the subtitle a hanukkah story i'm like really i was like this how did this all work is there a disclaimer <laughs> like like on jackass where it says kids don't try this at home uh yeah, almost it should it definitely should there, does the mormon thing have a disclaimer like that yeah, like one of their first posts is a disclaimer. <laughs> it's like, Do not try to jump down three steps on your own. This is not, we are not advising this. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. So this is what I wanted to talk about today. Today, thank you for having me on the show, by the way. Yes, um, a long time listener, first time. No, definitely not first time, but long time listener. So the, uh, the thing, so this was sort of inspired by the trail and we literally just finished our holiday season and the last of our holidays is called Sukkot. Now you might know it. It, it means booths. That's right. Like a, like a hut, if you will. And the idea of Sukkot is that you go from your like fortified home to this very temporary home that can be like, almost like, you know, in the three little pigs, mm-hmm. you know, how they progressively get more sturdy as they go. And they beat the wolf because the wolf can't blow and huff and puff and blow the house down. We're the opposite. We go from like the one that's all brick and mortar and, you know, like the stationary house. And we go to the one that can be puffed and puffed and blown down. That's the idea. And the message behind it is kind of, you know, know that things are fragile, know that life is fragile. And that's sort of also part of the whole high holiday season anyway. Um, But it made me, it just made me think like, what does home mean like what does a home to you do you have multiple homes do you have only one home does home where your hat is like what's home all pastors have multiple homes jamie i mean that's, what do i do with all that extra money if i don't have a second <laughs> nice it's like uh, bernie sanders the ultimate socialist with like six homes yeah i know how it is yeah so yeah i mean i've got my place in the hamptons uh, I just sold, I just sold our place in park city. It just got to be too much, you know, and I wasn't no. eating that much. So, and I can get up to Tahoe pretty easily from here. And that house is, is doing great in Tahoe. So down to four houses now and down uh, to four, that's pretty good. You know what? I always wonder about people who have multiple houses. <coughs> do they yeah. always like when they're going to their, do they have multiple like, um, wardrobes like do they keep a whole wardrobe of clothes at their other house or are they always packing luggage to go to their very good Mm, that's a good question you know i'll tell you my in-laws have had at least two places they've had a place in israel and a place in america for a long time and i think when they finally felt comfortable in both was when they had their full wardrobe you know what i mean in both you know what i mean that they didn't have to do like a big pack like my mother-in-law when she comes she has like a backpack she just has like a carry-on bag. Right. And that's, you know, that's all she would need. That should say, and, and you know, slight disclaimer, if all of her, you know, children and son-in-laws weren't ordering tons of stuff on Amazon that she had to then lug in a big duffel bag, she wouldn't have nothing to check. <laughs> We're the ones ruining it for her. So they would answer your question by saying home is where your underwear are. Yeah, I think that would probably be their answer. There. That's what makes it a home. It's not love or happiness or family. Mm-hmm. But- Home is where your clothes are. Yep. I think so. So, so I'll tell you though, like in regards to Sukkot, you're not only supposed to like have this little hut and be like, Oh, you look, there it is. It's out there in the yard. You're supposed to basically move there for the whole week. 
You're supposed to eat all your meals there. You're not supposed to, if you have to eat anything which is actually considered meal, you're not supposed to do it anywhere else but in the sukkah. And you're supposed to sleep there, everything. And this year, I actually saw somebody put this up. I think it was on Twitter. And it said, and it was, it actually had a price tag on it. And it was a sukkah toilet. And I was like, no, 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 no. That is just way over the line. It's not even like a porta john. You know what I mean? It was like really inappropriate. But, um, but you are supposed to make your whole life in there. And um, at times I felt like in the past, what, especially if you, let's say, live in an apartment building and your sukkah is a couple floors down, like on the, on the ground level, yeah. it's such a pain. You have to like lug all the food down and you got to string lights down. And it's like, it's like, it doesn't feel like a home. It feels like an imposition. Sounds like, like a survivor. Never feel like it sounds like an episode of some survival show that you have to go through. Totally, totally. And my daughter would agree with you because she hates mosquitoes. Hates well, mosquitoes. And there's so much that there's so many like religious practices that that's all people see it as is like I have to do this arduous chore for God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. But, and if God weren't asking me, there's no way I would do this. No that kind way. of way. Yeah. Only yep. crazy people with beards and no teeth go out and do this sort of stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I was thinking about like, when I was thinking about home for me, I don't, I, we recently moved to our, our home in a fraud. It was about a year and a half ago, but we moved. And this is the first home I have owned since I was, and I, I wouldn't say I owned the first one, but this is the first home I've owned in my life. Meaning I left my house at 18, visited a couple of times in Philadelphia where I grew up, but that was it. This was the first place I felt like, okay, now this is mine and I've got to set roots. You know what I mean? And, and I think for me, it was maybe paying a mortgage made the, you know, was like made it home. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the more, the mortgage the <laughs> certainly mortgage makes it real down payment definitely <laughs> puts you over the top when you're signing away the biggest number you've ever seen in your life saying that probably, you're going to spend this amount of money that you don't ever, maybe ever see. Home. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to yeah, totally. Um, but it really, it, but I really felt like it's funny because we'd lived in for 13 years in, as a married couple with four children, not the whole time, but for, with four children in my in-laws apartment in Jerusalem. And I didn't, I still felt like I was kind of like in college. Do you know what I mean? Like I was still like, yeah, but this is somebody else's place. And, and then when it came to like building a, um, a relationship with a synagogue, I was kind of like one foot in one foot out because I was really like, well, this really isn't our home. Like, we're not going to set roots here. Like, we're not, this isn't it. You know what I mean? And then when we came here to Afrod and we, we have our home, it's like, I really was like, okay, like, this is where we're going to be for a very long time. We're going to raise the kids here. We're going to do it all. And it, and it felt like, it felt like my home. And now, and now it's an interesting thing because a lot of the time my in-laws come and visit us here. And so it's like, oh, you know what I mean? Like we're paying the, paying it back or paying it forward. You know what I mean? They come to visit us. We have a guest room that doesn't have their underwear, but it's like a guest room just for them. You know what I mean? Like they come. Yeah. It's really different. So part of it for you is the the ownership, like putting your claim on it and making it your own. Totally. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, mm -hmm. I for me, like a lot of it's interesting because sometimes in in the house that we own. Um, you know, I'll look around and the things I care for more in the house are often the things that, that I've built or upgraded or spent money on getting upgrades to rather than the things that somebody else did. You know what I mean? Like totally. right now I'm finishing this like built in, like our pantry has been totally redone with built in stuff and custom cabinetry that I've been making. 
And I, I, I care about that room so much more than I do uh, than the playroom that someone else took care of. Right. Or like the right. flooring, like I, we, I ripped out probably 1200 square feet of carpeting and re and put in hardwood floors on my own. Oof. And now wow. whenever the girls get near that kind of stuff, I'm like, Hey, 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 you're scratching up the floor. <laughs> Don't do it in the room that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't install. <laughs> Go mess up your own room. You know, because there's two, there's two huge rooms. There's another thousand square feet that somebody else did. Wow, moved in, and I'm like, I don't, I don't care about those rooms. But yeah, so that's well, so interesting because we this this was also we we sort of we didn't buy it on paper, but it wasn't done when we when we purchased this this apartment. Um, and so no one's ever lived in this before. So it's like all ours. Oh, it's there's nobody room. else. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't feel like it was like, oh yeah, that's what they did. You know what I mean? Like this is our home. It's such an interesting, I never, I mean, I just do not even dawn on me as like, but I can hear that. Like when I was living in my in-laws apartment, it would be sort of like that. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's their cabinet. But we bought that one. We bought that bookshelf. You know what I mean? So that's our bookshelf and I care about it a little more. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I think, well, for me, a lot of it is building the stuff, buying the stuff too, for sure. But building it, like having, a part of me invested in it, you know, time, effort, sweat, money, injuries, <laughs> part, of all that, part of all that, uh, you know, goes a long way to being like, this is, this is my home, like making those permanent changes. Cause you didn't like at the places we rented, you're probably the same. Like you didn't make any permanent changes. You didn't buy a new sink to install or, uh, you know, build buildings or knock down walls. You bought pictures to hang on someone else's wall. Right. And things right. like that. I mean, so it was a little different only because, you know, and I always felt this sort of like, we definitely had this thing at the end too, where we would purchase things, the things that we would purchase, it was always like, yeah. And it's sort of like, we have to pay for it because we were using the thing that broke, like, like when the washing machine went down, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And you're like, but they're going to keep it. So like, I'm not getting them a new washing machine. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to like, and then it was sort of like this whole thing of like, do you take it when you leave? Do you leave it? Like, how uncomfortable is that when you're like, well, right. you know, we did buy that dishwasher. <laughs> Like you can't do that, but, but there's this sense of like, I mean, I feel like the only upgrade I did to the whole apartment while we lived there, maybe I did a couple other things, but I could, the only thing that came to mind was like hanging up hooks for them to put their jackets on. You know what I mean? And like, that was like the big project that I did. I was like, see that I put those hooks up. Those are mine. I put those there. And like some of them worked and some of them didn't, especially when I tried to like make hooks for their backpacks, they all came, you know, tumbling down in like a week. And, uh, but it was that, that was it. The things that I did were, I felt sort of, and then they kept them. Some of them, like they still have them as their hooks for, you know, people's jackets. And I look at it and I go, huh, see, I did that. that <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing we, so when we first got married, we rented from a family who are members at the church I pastored and this was their second home they weren't using. So they rented it to us for a thousand dollars a month when in perspective, the the houses around us that were the same model that were rented out were for 2600 a month Ooh. We basically paying nothing to rent this house nice but we i so we we treated a lot of it like our own so i and i also treated it with more bravado than i probably would have like i tried projects that i was like okay i'll save them some money by figuring out how to do plumbing and doing it myself rather than Ooh. Rather how'd that than, work out eh, 
some good, some not so good. But yeah. I mean, at least I tried on some of them, you know, like there you go. a major uh, water main leak. And I was like, I'm not touching this with a 10 foot pole. Oh, no, 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 but, no. I mean, I, I think part of it was um, the trust that they had that I would care for something that they, you know, cared about desperately. It was, it was their home and it was the place mm. they knew that they would retire. Mm. Uh, the other the house where they lived was a, a horse boarding ranch. They wanted to run a, a boarding ranch. So they rented this property and boarded horses because they loved it. And when they retired from that, they wanted to move back into this townhouse that we were renting. So I knew it was theirs and they had this care for it and they trusted me with something that I didn't deserve or earned earn their trust in. But they were like, You can you can do this. You you know, take care of it. Let us know if you got any problems. And so I did treat it as my own, if not more, because I had more of a sense of like, oh gosh, I got to take extra care of it and save them money mm-hmm. and give me such a gift. So there's something about, you know, being entrusted, the idea of, of being a steward of something rather than the owner of something that was there for me that wasn't there for like for your rental apartment or any other rentals that I had. Like in college, when Adam and Dan and I rented a place, we did not I mean, we, we didn't trash the place, but we, we definitely oh, no. didn't take care of much of it. So when we, so when I rented a place, um, what we called down the line when we were in college, which was near the beach, um, we were like bachelors. Like, I mean, I don't even feel like I knew the things you were supposed to do to take care of a house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. like the woman comes to take back the house and I don't even think I was there. I don't remember how the handover went, like, you know, at the end. But I get this message from the woman and she says to me, did you ever clean the stovetop? Like ever. Uh-huh. And I was like, she like told me, she was like, the stovetop was white. I was like, no, no, it was like a yellowish green. And she was like, it was white and you never cleaned it. And I was like, oh my God, we will. I like, these are just things like, it wasn't even a thing where I was like, eh, I don't care about that. Like it didn't even cross my mind. Like, oh, we, oh, you wipe it down after you use it. That's good to know. Like I, she sort of said it to me and I was like, okay, learning, learning. This is good. Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah. So we I did not, we did definitely into, not teach it. Digging into part of it is like the sense that you own something, the level of which you feel like you own or are caring for something probably makes something a home. But I think deeper than that, there's definitely a feeling, a vibe about a place that is your home where it's like there's a safety to it. You know, like I've lived places where I haven't felt safe and they've never been home for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you and I think safe on a, not a, not just on a physical level, but on a, like I can be myself. I don't have to put on, I don't have to, to prove myself to anybody where it, my home is. I don't have to pretend I don't have to overperform. It's just like, you know, I don't have gas in the tank. This is who I am. This is what you're going to get some days. And, um, you know, just being yourself, I feel like, like, uh, the camp I worked at and for 10 years, um, that that's, that's a home to me. And I think a big part of it was the full acceptance of who I was and mm. the ability to mess up and, and still be loved and forgiven, um, and feel safe, I think was a huge theme there for me. Do you have any places like that, that felt you felt safe that weren't your, weren't your home, but you kind of called it's- you know, it's very interesting that you say that because I felt that we were, we spent the last day of the holiday just now back in Jerusalem. Um, and we went to like a, a synagogue that we had frequented a couple of times, visited some friends. And I had this sense of exactly what you were talking about. So weird. And I, I don't even know if I had like fully processed it or even put it into words, but I felt like 
that in our, like when I was back there, that I was, I don't know if it's like transported back to sort of who I was and who I was trying to be when I was living there, which is a, it's not the right wording for it, but I, but I remember feeling like one of the big things that I felt when I was first in Jerusalem was I sort of really felt this need to prove myself as somebody who could be, you know, one of the Mohalim in town, meaning I could be one of the ritual circumcisers in the area. And I felt like the guy who was the guy, and he's still the guy, I, I was like, I never felt like I was going to measure up to him. And I never felt like I could measure up to him. And I felt like when I was back that I was like, not that I was putting on a show, but I didn't feel as naturally and as easily who I was, yeah. you know, whereas like now here in, in a frat where I live, like people, and I think it has something to do with, we have a, we have a saying in Judaism, uh, which is, you know, if you, it says, Shanui Makom, Shanui Mazal, which means you change your, the place where you are and you change your luck. And I really feel like that's a thing. Whereas when I moved here, I had already, you know, and I moved into a frat about a year and a half ago. Um, I had already been a moil for at least 10 years. And so when people saw me and then I started like, you know, people started knowing that I had a brist that day or whatever it was, or using me as their moil, like I felt like they already took me seriously. They already felt like I was the guy, you know what I mean? Not that I was the guy, but I was, I was taken very seriously as like a competent person in my profession. And when I went back to Jerusalem, I really felt this sort of like this in, like, I was like a little bit like in, like an infant almost, you know what I mean? Like they still don't really think that I'm the guy, you know, they don't think that I'm as competent as he, the other guy is. And, and that feeling of like, not really being um, able to be who I am, like you're saying, or, or, you know, just being comfortable in my own shoes was like, wow, I, I don't, I really don't miss that feeling, you know, like that feeling, I don't want it, you know what I mean? And I love that here, I feel like, I've also, I think I've also grown a little bit, but like, I feel like I am comfortable in who I am. And I'm also comfortable with like, Hey, if people want to use me, that's great. If they don't want to use me also great. And so I've sort of come into this very um, comfortable state. And I don't, and I think that it definitely makes it feel more like home for sure. For sure. I think also the only other place, maybe I feel like I felt that was, and I don't know if you felt this too, but I felt it in college. I really felt like I found a good group of people, um, be it from in the ocean when I was surfing to uh, the Student Alumni Association, which we were a part of together. Like those people, I felt like, did you get this? I felt like they accepted me for who I was. I never felt like I had to put on a show. And that's kind of why I never ended up in the in the Greek movement, you know, like in the whole, because I never understood the fraternity movement of having this like you know, hazing and, and having to prove yourself as like worthy to be in the group. Like those, the people at SAA, which they just accepted you for who you were. And they were like, I, did you feel that? Did you feel that as well? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I felt like it was my home, but it definitely felt like a place where I could be myself. You know what I mean? And I feel like there wasn't, and I don't think I came back to that feeling until I sort of moved here and, and have my own space and my own home with my family and I'm setting down roots. Yeah, that is a good point. I think there's a, there's a sense of the people and how they're, how you're treated. Um, it's hard because, you know, you, I, I want to say there's a sense of uh, family, like where your family is, your home is, that's your home. But I think for a lot of people that their family might not be the safest or the 
that they might not be fully themselves, which isn't a bad thing. I just, I, I witnessed so many family units that it, you know, you can tell there's always some posturing and, and it's not their safest spot. Like there's always for sure have an outlet that's, um, that's even better than the family they have at home. Or there's people, you know, women getting together for gossip groups to, you know, talk about what's what they're struggling with. And um, rather than well, it's also hard. I think it's also hard for people like me who, you know, I grew up in the United States. Um, my whole side of the family is in the United States but it's far from my home. You know what I mean? It's not the place I call home anymore. It's very much, right. They're separated. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's, there's a huge separation between where, you know, I feel like they are and where I am. But at the same time, like you're saying, you know, thank God I have a really, my, my relationship with my family is very comfortable so that, you know, when I go to visit them, I feel at home, but, but like the United States, it took a lot, it, it almost, I don't know how long it took for it to be that way. There was a time, I think, in the beginning when I went home, it was like, oh, that's that's my home and Israel is the place that I live now, but that's not my home. And then it shifted somewhere along the way and it became, you know, Israel is really my home. And then I started like, it's funny because, you know, when you're you're not around a place as much and you don't, you're not there anymore, you see all these changes or differences between where you are and there and you start pointing them out. That's like your thing when you come back, like, wow, look how much bigger the cars are. Or, you know, because in Israel, it's all tiny, you know, like almost like tiny European cars. Um, there's very few like big suburban type, you know, like SUV, like huge cars. Like people don't, you know, that's not a thing in this country. And so you start pointing out all those differences, but it's a weird shift to feel like you went from not only the place that you grew up is no longer your home, but also where the people you love a great deal that's not your home. That's a, that's a very weird feeling. Yeah. I mean, you're also far from your home, right? I mean, you, you grew up in Rhode Island and now you're on the other coast. Do you feel a huge, is that like a big difference for you? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think there's definitely more familiarity with the, the area. Like I could still get anywhere in new England without sure. an app or, or uh, my phone pretty much. Um, whereas here it's like a, five miles and I'm like, I don't even know where I am. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, I think the space is, I think it's more the emotions and the memories that um, that you've made in the place that make the place the home than, you know, kind of the, the places themselves, you know? Um, so, you I mean, you can have, a place you've lived your whole life and be um, not feel like a home because it's been, you know, uh, the people, the experiences and the emotions you had there were bad. Right. Right. Uh, same thing. Right. You know, um, I love new England and loved plenty of places about it. Like I mentioned Calumet and Coventry when I were in Rhode Island, where I grew up in lots of places in Rhode Island, but the places don't have the same. I'd love to visit, but I don't know if I'd live in some of those places long-term, like they just take on a whole different air. And I mm. think people often, you know, go to places, when people move to places, it often takes the, um, takes the celebrity appeal out of it or like the, the, um, the drama out of it, you know, the sense of like, Oh, this is going to be perfect. And then they realize it's just as real as where they lived before. And so it wasn't right. the place that was the home. It was something about the experience and emotion. And I think, what they had will never be the same. And you can't sustain a lot of that stuff permanently. You know, you mm -hmm. can get 
a lot of that stuff, you know, it's like, oh, I want to move to Disney World and live there because it's so great. Well, people who I know who live at Disney World as interns are, are complaining about it. And they say it's toxic <laughs> and it takes every bit of them. It's yeah, not, sure. It's not the ideal situation that it looks like when you go visit Disney. <laughs> no, 100%. I mean, I can remember when I first came back to Israel, like I came here one, for one year um, and then was gone for five and then came back and have lived here ever since. And when I was here on the, the one year, um, that time that I spent there, I was dating a woman that it, 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 it ended very badly. And I remember when I came back my, uh, to, you know, for the second stint, um, I, I, I like all those memories were flooding back to me. And I was remembering all this stuff with her and, and how it was really hard for me. And I turned to one of my friends, my really close friends, and I said, I just, I, everywhere I go, like, I, it's what I think about. And it's, it's so hard. And he just turned to me and he said, you have to make new memories. And I went, oh, yeah. I was like, I do. I just have to, like, sort of start over again and relearn the place and have new experiences. And then, it, and then it became, you know, it took time, but it became like, yeah, I get it. Like, this is not the place that it was when I was here five years ago. And it's, it's a new place and it's a new and it became a new home in a way. Um, but that's, that, that, like you said, that making those memories and building those, those things, it takes time. It's not something that, that happens overnight. Yeah. So to, to bring it to the religious aspect of it, I think there is a, a place involved and, but I think there's more, I, I like the idea of Shalom as, um, sort of a sense of home, right? Can you talk about more about the Jewish understanding of Shalom and how that relates to the kind of the well-being of what it means to be home? So I think the, the interesting thing is, as usual, you love when I talk about the word and the meaning of the word. Um, shalom is usually translated, well, it's, got, it's sort of like aloha. It's three things. It's hello, goodbye, and peace. Um, but it's the, the base of the word is a three-letter root, shin, lamed, mem, which means to be whole, means yeah. to be complete. Oh, like when I pay for something, right, I am using the same word. I'm, I'm called mishalem. I'm paying something. Um, and so there's no doubt that... Um, I think, you know, I'm actually talking, I was talking to a friend last night that um, she said that she now has a new space that she bought and purchased, um, but she, and I don't want to put any, you know, words into her mouth or, you know, but like I'm imagining how I would experience What's that? She's not listening. Exactly. Words in her mouth. She's <laughs> so she, so she, I, I know when I myself have lived in places by myself, that that wholeness of not having a spouse, having a family, right? I think I didn't think about it until you said it, but the completeness of where I am now um, is much different than where I sort of lived with my duffel bag as a single guy with, you know, a couple, couple different roommates of people I did or didn't know. Like coming to a frat and now owning this home, it's like there's the physical space, but what you're talking about, I think, with Shalom is the is the, the space inside what's in here and what we've built, thank God, is a very, is a wonderful family that I'm happy to be a part of. I love my family. Um, and it definitely is something which I'm going to go Jerry Maguire and this completes me, right? And that's the idea of, I think, shalom and shalem and being complete is that you have um, the things that are around you are sort of helping to make you the better person and make you a whole person for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Go ahead. I think that speaks more to a sense of home than, than kind of the place or the people, right? There's a sense of wholeness, like there's, there's missing pieces that are filled and settled and peaceful. Uh, 
more than like, I have these things and I have this place and I have these people. It, it feels very consumeristic if you're, if that's mm. all you're considering versus like, I feel whole, I feel complete. I feel like. Totally. And it's interesting because one of the places I wanted to ask you about this, um, one of the places I think of as my home, um, and I think it's probably been the most consistent home through my life uh, is the ocean and the sea. That when I go out to go surfing, right, that is, and it's not just because I love it and oh, I love to go surfing, but it is one of the places that I feel the most comfortable. And I can, and I can remember when I started, I sort of like my whole experience into surfing started with skateboarding. And when I started in skateboarding, it was never something that, that was as um, satisfying for me because the people that I did it with were not the type of people that I connected with and wanted to be, meaning they were, they were mean. They were, you know, they didn't treat people nicely. You know, they were rebel rousers. They were whatever they were, you know, and they weren't somebody who reflected me. And then when I went to college and I started, and I had already started surfing for some time, I still felt like in the beginning of my time surfing, I didn't connect with people. And then in college, our like group of friends, those people, when I connected with them, I finally felt like, ah, now, now I've got like a home in surfing right? It's not just that I go out in the ocean and almost all the time I know what's happening. I feel very comfortable. I can, you know, where many people I'm sure if they went out as far as we do when we go surfing would feel lost, you know what I mean? And feel like I got to get back to the shore right away. That's a place that I go for, for solitude, but without the people aspect and sort of having a community within that, it didn't, it didn't work for me as much. It was fun and it was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't whole. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I don't, uh... The ocean itself was enough, was always enough for me. Like I could be in it for, for, for days and never talk to anybody and be fine. I think there is, for me, there's a sense of just the floating and <clears throat> paddling out and everything. Just the experience of being in the ocean was huge for me. And the, the familiarity of it, right? Like I could, uh, you, you could probably, surfers can tell you what's happening underneath the water and predict like the next wave or the next set in a way that, that people who, who aren't familiar with it can't, you know what I mean? Like my kids thought I was a fortune teller when I was like, no, 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 don't, don't take this wave. Like there's, there's a set of three or four coming right after it that are going to be perfect. Right. And it happened and they were like, Whoa, how did you know that? I was like, I could feel it. Like you're, right. there's something going on and I can try and explain it, but it's just unexplainable because it's so, I mean, it is a home. It's a, and yeah. I, now that I live <clears throat> far from the ocean, I can tell when I need to get back to it and just be in the water. Like, I don't even think I can surf anymore right now. I'm just so out of shape and think I'd get, mm. but, um, but just paddling out, you know, on my own and sitting outside doing nothing would be contentment. I mean, that would be a Shalom moment for me. For sure. I like, I think there's both aspects to it. Meaning no. when, when I, when I have days, which I had like uh, about a week Definitely or a week not. and a half ago, I went out and I was like, just me. You know what I mean? And I had a great session and it was just me. But when I was, so since I've been here in Israel for the last, God, what is it now? It's almost 15 years. Only in the last couple that I start like connecting with people and making like friends in the water. And I think it changed something for me. Like it really made it so that like, again, like setting roots and not just like, Hey, I'm going to go out there and get what I need from the ocean. I'm now going to have a group of friends that I surf with sometimes, and I'm going to connect with, and I'm going to know people when I go out. And like, if you're going out of places where there are tons of people, it, it, it does make a huge difference to paddle out there and know some of the people and be able to say, Hey, what's up, what's going on, you know? And I love that. I love that piece of it. Um, one of the things that you, you 
hit on, which I thought was really cool, um, was when I was, um, be- right before I came to Israel, I took this trip that I just had to like drive all the way from Rhode Island. I drove to Halifax and I had been watching all the storms go up to Halifax and I was like, it's got to be great up there. So I drove all the way. I think it took me 12 hours to drive there. I don't even remember. It was a really long drive by myself. Let's talk about solitude and being shalom in the car. So I get there and it's like the surf was not really good. And I spent the day, the two days that I was there, two and a half days, whatever. I, I met up, I met a guy and he was learning how to surf. And I was sort of teaching him how to navigate the waves. Um, and towards the end of the time we were there, he or maybe it was like the end of the first day, he said, I can't really he says, I come out here and I don't have my glasses on. I can't see. And I said, oh, so I had to like come up with an idea of a way for him to figure out how to feel the energy in the water so that he could get himself straight because he was like, could see nothing almost. He wasn't legally blind, but he really couldn't see. And so we figured out a way for him to catch waves. And then the second day I'm pushing him into waves and it was like a little, it was cleaner, but it was much smaller. And he, and I said, okay, this is going to be the last one I'm pushing you in. And then I'll be in in a second. I push him into this wave and it was kind of like, I was kind of like a little bit melancholy because I drove this whole way expecting to see. And I looked at the maps and thought there was going to be some surf. And I, and I was like, ah, I really didn't get anything. And then all of a sudden I went, wait a minute. Like the same thing you're talking about. I was like, something's coming. And I looked out and there was a wave that like was clearly bigger than all the other waves of the day. And I had to book it. I had to paddle out as fast as I could, spun around, took off on this wave. And I, and I, and I just, I mean, it was probably a day that it was two feet and this thing was either easily five to six foot this wave. It was out of nowhere, total rogue wave. And I'm just pumping, pumping, getting all this speed. And I'm like, I'm seriously think I was like in the barrel for the majority of it. And I straighten out and I scream like, yeah, I was like, it was like the totally made the whole drive worth it. And then I look at the beach and there's a guy with a camera who has been taking pictures of the surf and he was pointed in the other direction. He wasn't watching me. And I come in and I said, buddy, I would have paid you a hundred bucks for one picture of that wave. <laughs> it was like, he was like, I'm sorry, man. And I was like, that was the wave. I mean, like there are some waves that you just, they're, they're with you forever. That wave is still with me, even though I have no pictures of it. But the truth of the matter was there was something about, like you said, that I had this connection at that moment. And, and please God, I still have it. I mean, it doesn't always happen, but I get a rhythm. I understand the ocean and, you know, and, and it's there. And, you, and, and there's definitely something about feeling like when you, when I paddle out there, no matter who's out, no matter if no one's out, I'm home. Like it's definitely home. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I guess it's just not as much. I think the people always kind of change it if I'm with the people, but it's hard because you're always with a mixed crowd when you're surfing. So it's, always, I don't know. I, I often feel like the people, add an element, uh, like a social element to it. That's not as helpful. Cause it's like, it's never just the three people I came with. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I, I just, I dream of those days. I don't know. You, did you, you came with us to North Carolina, right? Yeah. Twice. Yeah. So like, right. So like, like that was like, those were the ultimate trips. We took trips with, with the surfing club and URI that, that like we went for spring break to South to North Carolina and we like rented a house and we would like literally all of us just sort of not only be sleeping on the floor and eating, like, remember like Mike used to make these mustard meals of like with all the food that was left at the end of the week, he would like look in the fridge and everybody's like, there's no food left. He's like, I got it. And he'd make this magic meal at like the end of the week when we had no food left, but we, we would descend on the, on the water. And it was awesome because it was like, it really was just us. You know what I mean? There was nobody else there. 
And so we would, you know, surf together and, you know, maybe one day we'd go over to where other people were, but right out in front of the house where we were staying, like people weren't coming there. And we had these unbelievable sessions of just the guys who came together. And it's, you're right. It's very rare. It's very rare to like go with the people who you go with and no one else is there. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're definitely good. What else for you? Did you have anything else about home and what makes something a home? No, I don't know if I had anything. You, you, what, what about you? Anything else for you the, about the home that makes something a home? Um, no. No, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Good. Way to end on a high. That was great. I, I think it was great. I, the surfing thing you know, always makes me happy. That's all that matters. Sorry if, I, if, sorry if you had to listen to me being happy and you weren't enjoying all right. Well, great topic. Great episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, man. I'll talk to you guys next time.